It's time for The Outspoken Cyclist, your weekly conversation about bicycles, cyclists, trails, travel, advocacy, the bike industry, and much, much more. You can subscribe to our weekly podcast at OutspokenCyclist.com or through your favorite podcatching app to listen anytime. Now here's your host, Diane Jenks. Welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks, and this is our show for January 19th, 2022. Yes, this is a midweek episode, and I really enjoyed the conversation with my guest, Ian Cleverly. Ian is the executive editor of Roller, arguably one of the best magazines about cycling on the market today. With a history of covering racing, the editors changed it up in 2021 and have broadened their topics to include issues devoted to women, people of color, and disabled athletes, to mention a few. As more and more publications disappear from newsstands, and even from subscription, Roller is one lovely magazine that is still not only being published, but is thriving. In fact, issue number one is a hot commodity on the market, if you can find one, fetching a tidy sum. Ian, who is stuck at home like many of us, is a fun conversationalist, and I really enjoyed the time we spent chatting. I hope you enjoy our conversation, too. Hello, Ian. Welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for being my guest this week. How's London? London is lovely and sunny, clear blue sky. Thank you for asking. Mm, Okay, then. Well, and in January, that's probably a good thing. It's very rare, I can assure you. Yesterday was grey and drizzly, so um, yeah, we were we were overdue a nice sunny day. Lovely. Yeah, that's more like Cleveland, that grey and drizzly thing. So uh, let's talk a bit about your magazine. All right, I I want to hear your pronunciation. I pronounce it Rouleur. Uh A harder L, Rouleur. 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 Yeah, the, I find that Americans struggle with the pronunciation more than more than most. Um, I'll probably sort of go a bit too bit bit too over the top, but um, yeah, ruler, yeah, we go with that. Okay, we'll do that. So I remember seeing my first issue of the magazine. It was such a beautiful magazine. The only other one that I can remember that was similar to that, and it only had a few issues, was Asphalt by Patrick Brady. That was a pretty magazine too. Oh, I don't remember that one. That- was that like way back? It was way back and it was just a few issues, but it was one of those really beautifully produced um, publications like yours. So it's evolved a lot since then. Tell us about the magazine and the kind of work you're doing. Okay. So uh, if you want to roll back to the, the very beginnings, it was founded in uh, 2006. Uh, the founder and editor was a, a friend of mine by the name of Guy Andrews. Uh, it was backed by Simon Mottram from Rafa, and it was published four times a year um, to start with. And it was very thin. <laughs> it, it was actually the uh, issue one goes for some crazy amount, like over two hundred dollars, if you can find it on eBay. Um, uh, there's not much to it. <laughs> to be honest, but we gradually sort of built up and built up. Um, I joined um, a couple of years later, and we've grown and grown since then. Um, and we now publish eight times a year, 
and of course it's not just the magazine we have um, a wonderful bike show which is formerly called uh, the Ruler Classic and it's renamed this year to sorry last year when it was held to uh, Ruler Live um, and the website and um, podcasts and all sorts um, yeah it's doing okay it's doing okay um, it's it's been interesting during lockdown to see how um, the business has evolved and changed because obviously when there was the initial lockdown, it was panic stations. It's like, how are we going to survive this? And our take was to take the magazine off the newsstand altogether and be subscription only, or you can buy individual issues, but essentially, you know, we appealed for people to subscribe and that, and they did. <laughs> so we now have um, a record number of subscribers, which is kind of rather against the grain for the current uh, trend in, in publishing industry. Um, and we've also kind of broadened our demographic somewhat because we used to be uh, purely racing content driven. And we kind of thought we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot here somewhat. So we actually looked slightly outside of racing. Um, as long as it's people on bikes, you know, we're happy. And it's been generally, it's been very well received. So no complaints here. Well, it's really a well put together piece. I remember the original Velo News when it was published out of Brattleboro, Vermont, many, many decades ago. It was actually like a newspaper. You know, it was on newsprint and now it's kind of, it, well, now it's like ceasing publication as far as print goes, but your magazine is just beautiful. It's, it uses great paper and graphics and photos. It really does a nice job. I noticed also that you publish in multiple language languages. Do you speak any of these languages besides British English? <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I wish. Un peu de français, c'est tout. Thankfully, um, our editor, um, Andy, is uh, is fluent in French and Italian, so that helps. But no, we have we have an Italian editor in Italy and a Spanish editor for Volata in Spain. So um, that's just me being lazy, mind you. I really should address it. Yeah, me too. And I don't. You know, the older I, I get, got- the less likely I will probably speak more languages. Let's talk a little bit about what we had planned to talk about, which is the upcoming cycling season, some of your thoughts about it. And the first topic that you brought up, which is what everybody brings up is gravel. Um, It's just gone crazy. Now we used to look at riding a bike as wherever you rode it, that was just, you were sport riding as if you weren't racing. Gravel has turned into something completely different. Where do you think it's going? And do you think that the UCI really needs to get involved? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a great question i would rather they didn't to be honest because like you i i kind of i get i get the feeling that it's um it's a great scene right now as it is so like you know stay out of it and leave it alone but um they probably won't and yeah i mean when when i was when i was a kid we used to call it rough stuff we, you know we we had we had bikes that were totally ill-equipped for such excursions but every once every month, uh, our club leader would say, okay, we're doing rough stuff this time. 
and uh, you'd hit these uh, bridleways and trails, which over here are not kind of, not so much not so much gravelly as uh, muddy. And then you'd grind you'd grind to a halt as as the mud clogged up your mud guards, and you'd end up pushing. But you know, it's, it's all it's all um, part of the fun. <laughs> well, in hindsight, anyway. it's sort of a combination of gravel and cyclocross. Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. So there is. I, I love the, the debate that goes around. It's like, do do we need to call it gravel? Do we need a new name? You know, this is something that has, has always existed, and that's like, yeah, whatever. It's just, it's just, it's just a handle. It works. Um, but it, obviously, in, in different countries, there are there are different um, possibilities. I mean, you guys in the states seem to have um, endless possibilities when it comes to these kind of tracks. Ours, ours are a little more harder to find, but they are out there. And it's just joyous, just getting off the road. And it's just a sort of a safer, more enjoyable envir- environment. And it's kind of taking you back to cycling's roots, which was about, you know, getting out of the city and, and enjoying the countryside. And the roads are okay for that. You're kind of too focused on the road all the time and staying safe and all that sort of stuff. And I've I've always loved off road. I mean, I was always a big cyclocross racer. So, um, but it's also it's also going back to the kind of the, the original mountain biking ethic as well. You know, so it is a kind of it's a cross cross between the, those those disciplines. But it's all good for me. People on bikes. Well, don't you think that part of the name gravel, the the word gravel, helps to sell more product too? I mean, we're looking at, you know, well, let's let's get a gravel bike. Well, we used to call it a sport bike or a touring bike or something else. And now it's a gravel bike. Well, I, I can tell you that that's basically most of our advertisers. That's all they want to advertise is gravel bikes. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's that, that's the way the industry is pushing. Um, and, you know, I don't blame them. I really don't. Um and then a couple of years down the line, it will be something else, won't it? Well, yes, sure. You know, now it's electronics and disc. I don't know what's going to be next, and I I'm, don't want to look down that road yet. It's too soon. We're we're just getting used to this stuff after coming off the mechanical stuff. So, um, what about what about these components in the supply chain? What are you hearing about supply chain? Is it getting any better over there than it is here? Well, interestingly, we had um, a logistics expert on our own um, podcast last week, um, and this was something that I was unaware of. And he was talking about the fact that the supply chain in the States was not that there is a shortage of, of stuff, but that there, there are kind of hundreds of ships um, unable to actually dock. You know, they're actually sitting off, off the coast somewhere at anchor. <laughs> waiting to come in and it's the, the the chassis of the lorries or something like that that's, that's an issue some something to do yeah there are not enough drivers there are not enough trucks there are not enough berths at the docks and when there's a storm a lot of these ships are overloaded with containers and the containers tip over end up at the bottom of the pacific and then you lose the cargo so it i mean some things are loosening up but yeah, I I don't know when this is all going. Now they're even talking about that the bubble of people riding bikes and wanting more equipment 
is going to burst soon. And then we're going to have too much excess inventory. Now, I'm not sure that's true. I think a lot of that is speculation. But I was just wondering what you were hearing on on your end of the of the uh, world. Does this mean that um, uh, beachcombers and estates will find um, Shimano components washing <laughs> up on the shore over the coming months? Where will they go? That's, you know. I don't know. The sharks will get them. <laughs> it's fine, though. You imagine whole groups are on the beach. Wouldn't Ooh. that be nice? We'll have beachcombers looking for bike parts. Let me take a moment to reintroduce you. We're speaking with Ian Cleverly. He is the executive editor of, let's get this right, Roller Pretty good. Magazine. Great magazine. It's fabulous. If you do not get it, you should. Uh, it is subscription. Well, there are no newsstands anymore, practically. Nobody goes out. So you you made mention in our original email when we started um, getting ready for this conversation about how Brexit has impacted uh, England and, and the bicycle business. Well, it, the, the interesting thing is that the viewpoint from over here is that it hasn't even really started yet. So it's bad enough already. So if I go into my local bike shop and, and say, oh, you know, have you got an 11-speed cassette for whatever, the chances are they'll say no, and uh, we can get you one. Uh, it might be with you in three months. It might be longer. Um, it, it's, it's really hit and miss. The whole impact has not really been felt uh, to a great extent. Uh, but everybody says that this year is is the next few months is when it's really going to hit the fan, as it were. Um, it's the paperwork, import duties, tech, you know, it's it's kind of just just sending a parcel to anyone in Europe now, they will end up getting a a, a bill, you know, and and having to pay money to get it out of pay duty to to get it out and and get their their things delivered. It, it, it's it's a frankly. A complete disaster. The British public in their um, misguided idiocy <laughs> have uh, shot themselves right in both feet. Um, but there you go. You have to do well, that brings up a question about the, the cost of bicycles and components are so high already. Now you're going to add a, a duty to it when you ship it. It sounds like you might be pricing a lot of people out of the market. Absolutely, as if it isn't high enough already. Um, it's it's yeah, it's not good. It struck me when I went. I went to my local um, velodrome a few weeks before Christmas and watched some racing there. And I used to race on the track, and you know, at the risk of sounding like an old giffer who who just kind of harks on about how great everything was back in the day, when I raced at the track, you had a steel frame, you had you know, ordinary spoked wheels. Your bike would cost, you know, $500 tops. Now everybody's just riding track league on carbon frames, carbon wheels, just to do the local track league. I, I, I just, I, just it, I find it mind-boggling, really. It was, you'd almost wish it would like the, the Japanese Kirin League, you know, where everybody had to ride this, they have to ride the same bike. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you wonder how young people can get into the sport. How are we going to grow the sport when it costs thousands of dollars to get a kid on a bike? 
Yeah, it, it's very disconcerting to me. I've been in the bicycle business a long, long time. I've never seen anything like this. Let's take a real short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Women's Tour de France. And we're going to talk about Patrick Lefebvre and a bunch of other stuff. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. If you're just joining me, I'm speaking with the editor-in-chief of Roller, 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 Ian Cleverly. Uh, and we're ta- we've been talking about the bicycle business in, in general, but now we're going to kind of hone in on some of the stuff that's going to happen next year. Big race next year is the Women's Tour de France. Uh, and I think there's a lot of excitement around it. There's going to be a lot of great racing. Women's racing is exciting as it is. Tell me what you think about the Tour de France for women and about women's racing in general. The introduction of the Tour de France Femmes, uh, long overdue, uh, much to be celebrated. What I found interesting was the take of, um, you know, before they actually announced that it was going to be um, happening, was the take of some people... Uh, including some race organisers of excellent pre-existing women's world tour races, was why do we need to? Why do we need a women's tour de France? Why do we need to keep pushing that? Wouldn't it be better to focus on the races that are already there and that are doing a great job? And I have a lot of sympathy with that with that view. But and this is a big but, nothing has the pull or the power of the Tour de France. You know, you can't fight it. Um, what I did find irritating about it was how long it took ASO to, to come round to the idea. I'm making up all sorts of excuses as well about financial, you know, it doesn't have the pulling power and yada, yada. It's just like, I, you know, I never bought it. Um, but they did get around to it, so fair play to them. I mean, this this is a great thought, little anecdote from our editor Andy when he was interviewing Christian Prudhomme, the uh, race director, a few years back. Uh, and at the end of the interview, he started asking him about podium goals and saying, "You know, Monsieur Prudhomme, don't you think this is a, an outdated concept in this day and age?" And he literally did not understand the question. <laughs> he was literally shrugging his shoulders and going, "Sorry, what, what? Why is this an issue?" And you kind of thought, "Yeah, come on, mate. You know, you're you're in the last century here." Um, so, yeah, a women's Tour de France, good, basically. It is good. Who should we be watching? Who do you think is going to be the podium one, two, three spot? Do you have any uh, ideas? I, right now, no. <laughs> I did, you have to see how the kind of the early season races pan out. I mean, I, 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 could, uh, I could almost guarantee that the, the top spot will come from the Netherlands. But other than that, you know, you could perm any sort of three or four from there. Yeah, yeah. 
It's good to see women's racing starting to get some some legs, though, or wheels, whichever way you want to put it. Uh, so uh, <laughs> now we come to Patrick Lefevre. So he was not into women's racing. He would never do blah, 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 blah. And now suddenly he's supporting a women's development team in, in Belgium. It, it seems like a big U-turn. What do you think? Well, if um, if I refer to Prudhomme as um, something of a dinosaur, then Lefevre is... is uh... A dinosaur par excellence, isn't he? I mean, the man is just, um, uh, but you know, again, yeah, credit where credit's due. Uh, I don't, I don't know, I don't know who or what has changed his, his mind uh, along the line, but um, uh, I, they, I can't, I'd say, I'd say the sort of jury's out on that one. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's right at this point to criticise somebody who's who's. Uh, back in a women's team, um, but we'll have to see how that pans out. Hopefully, yeah, but hopefully he's doing it um, seriously and not just a sort of tick a box and appease people. Right, as a knee jerk reaction. Yeah, I agree. I hope I hope he he actually puts the money behind it and really does the work. So, and that that kind of brings me to the whole idea of sponsorship and how strange sponsorship is with cycling. So I spoke with Sylvan Adams not too long ago, who's, you know, the uh, Israel Startup Nation founder. And his thoughts were along the lines of, it should be an Italian um, uh, team. It should be a French team. It should be a British team. And then sponsors can come along to support that. But that's not the way it works in cycling. So I'm wondering what would bring a sponsor into the sport and what would take a sponsor out of the sport from your perspective? Well, if, if, if we're talking in terms of women's cycling, it's surely all about the coverage, um, which has increased exponentially. I mean, since I got GCN Plus, which started up, what was it, just over a year ago around there? Uh, I've seen so much more women cycling, so much more. It's just like it's easily accessible now. It's out there. Um, it's still got a long way to go. Some of the races on, on uh, in the mainland Europe, you know, they will only show bits of it. But there's so many more races now where you can see an awful lot more of it. Um, so as a sponsor, you, it, it, it's it's about getting bang for your buck, isn't it? Um, the more coverage they get, the more sponsors they get. Simple as that. I can't, I can't see a return to kind of national teams like Sylvan Adams was suggesting as being a, a way forward. That seems like a retro step to me. That's something from the 1950s. Interesting. Um, and and the, the, the increased um, mixing of teams, of nationalities and teams, to my mind, is only a good thing. I, I, I see the more, the more nationalities you have on a team, the better, as far as I can see. Well, well, that's a good point. I guess his analogy was in professional sports here, like it's the Cleveland Browns or the Pittsburgh Steelers or the whatever it is, and you still have players from all over the world. But, uh, but I, I see your point. I didn't, I didn't think back to, you know, the way it used to be. 
as long as we see sponsors, you know, it's when these teams have really good riders and then the sponsor isn't getting his or her bang for the buck and then they just disappear. And suddenly you have riders kind of floating out there without contracts. And you don't want to see that. You want to see these riders be able to make a living, and, and men and women. Well, I, I, a great, a great example of a of a, a, a modern sponsor who is doing good work is there's a, a team called Uno X, uh, who have been uh, had a male team for the last few years, and uh, announced at the end of last season they'd be launching a women's team. Now. Eleanor Barker, who's a, a, a British rider, was riding at the Olympics um, and took a pregnancy test during the Olympics, found she was pregnant, contacted the team and the team boss. This is a Scandinavian team. I think this is kind of relevant. And the team boss said, um, so even though she, she signed, signed for the team, yeah, hadn't even launched, team boss said, yes, of course, you know, of course you're fully supported and you'll be on maternity leave. That, you know, the same as any of my other employees. Why, why, why wouldn't you? Now, I, I, I suspect, I may be wrong, but I suspect the reaction of a lot of the other teams would have been very different and that she'd have been out of the job. But it's good to know somebody's out there doing the right thing. Yeah, and there's, there's, I think there's more people coming in. So the... the, the the understanding of of, of the, the the people involved in women's teams um, is definitely getting better. Long way to go, yeah. as always. Well, at least we're not standing still. <laughs> at least we're starting to move. So I want to talk about two other things. One is COVID and how you've seen the impact from your perspective, from the magazine's perspective, and from the work you do. Uh, and it doesn't look like now I just read something this morning that said uh, it was, I think, from MSNBC that somebody is saying that by the end of 2022 and into 2023, it's going to be in the rearview mirror. I find that hard to believe um, that we're going to get back to normal. Nobody knows what normal really is. How has COVID impacted cycling from your perspective? Well, I can start off with a purely anecdotal uh, piece of evidence. I woke up this morning thinking, hmm, I feel like I've got a cold. I was supposed to go into my first day in the new office. Did a test. I've got COVID. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm well, all right now. Well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just me. Um, but no, th- th- I think this idea that it's going to go away... Um, I hate to sound negative about it, but I'm, I'm afraid we, we I, I fear we are living with it now. Um, and cycling and, you know, our business and everything, we just have to learn to deal with it. Um, and if, if, it, if it is eradicated, fantastic. Fingers crossed. But, um, I, you know, for the foreseeable future, we have to, we have to live with it. I've, I've not interviewed anybody in person or approaching two years now. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it takes a bit of getting used to it, you know? Right, Um, right. What about the backlash against vaccines? Are you seeing a lot of that over there? um, Not, no, not really strong. Not really strong. Um, I I gather from from the most people that are being hospitalized are the unvaccinated. 
Um, so, you know, draw, draw your own conclusions from that. And, and little children, children who can't yet get a vaccine here. Which is yeah. a real problem. If their parents aren't vaccinated, it's what are they thinking? They're putting their kids in danger. But we, that's another whole topic, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's another program. It is. Time. It is. So what are some of the stories you're working on for 2022? What are some of the cool topics that uh, the magazine is going to be covering? Well, so I was talking about earlier about us kind of like broadening our, our, our reach somewhat over the last um, year or so and we kind of we've kind of hit upon themes for a few of the issues just to to create more of a stir um, and our first issue of last year was a 100% women's only issue um, with uh, a fantastic guest editor by the name of Orla Shenoui who does TV presentation over here and that turned out to be our biggest ever selling issue. Go figure. I know. I know, right? right. That's, the t- that's the tweet I did. It's like, who wants to read about women's racing anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently everybody. Okay. Everybody. Apparently everybody. Um, so that was that was a fantastic start to the year. And then we've since done themed issues, um, a whole issue on people of uh, colour, uh, with the theme of enabled, uh, oh, sorry, the theme of empower. And the one we are just doing now, which I'm hoping to finish tomorrow, but probably won't, probably Monday, is entitled Enabled, um, which is around disability sport, Paralympics, all sorts of people from that kind of world. So it's 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 been really refreshing for us and just real sort of like eye-opening just to just to just to when you've been writing about professional cyclists for over a decade. You kind of almost think, okay, I think I've asked them everything I want to ask them. You know, <laughs> running out of questions, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's just been really great just to be able to kind of like talk to people from a from a, a different angle and and you know, find out what makes them tick. One of the fun things about your magazine is is how attractive it is, and the photography is always good, the uh, the typeface is interesting, the paper is good. You know, these are, these are things that people may or may not think about when they pick up a magazine. Now, if you're going to, are you going to go back? You're subscription only, so you're still shipping eight times a year. Um, you think you're going to go back to newsstand ever? Why bother, I guess? I don't know if you even can. Yeah, I We'll see how we we'll see how it pans out in the next couple of years. I guess um, I'm not sure if we will. I'm not sure if we will. We we continue doing, keeping it the highest possible quality we can. It is all about looking good, feeling good, smelling good. You haven't even mentioned the smell. Whoa! You know That's why? Because I don't smell things well. I didn't even think about that. You need to. Uh, COVID has nothing to do with it. I've never had a good sense of smell. I have great eyesight, great hearing. Um, clearly, I can talk, uh, but I don't have a good sense of smell. So, what does it smell like? It smells of print and uh. sweat and toil and love. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Tell, <laughs> tell listeners more about where they can subscribe. And uh, you have an online editor too, or are you that person? 
We do. I am most certainly am not. No, Peter Stewart is our online editor and a fabulous job he does. So um, go to the website, ruler.cc, and um, there's lots of lovely free content on there. Uh, but as I said, it is free. So if you want to keep us all gainfully employed and keep the whole shebang going. Subscribe. Subscribe while you're there. That would be lovely. Yes, it would be. Well, Ian, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really like your perspective. And um, we will keep reading the magazine. It's awesome. I hope you have a great season. And I hope you don't get sick sick. You feel okay? You look okay. I'm okay. I'm having a good time. But, uh, you know, I might, I might not say that in a week's time when I'm still stuck in this room and my wife is posting meals through the door. So. <laughs> yeah, I tested negative the other day and I'm taking another test today just to follow up because I thought I had a sore throat and I'm like, oh, no, but knock wood. I'm okay. Have a wonderful day. Stay well. Thank you, Diane. Lovely to speak to you. You too. You take care. Cheers. Ian Cleverly is the executive editor of Roller Magazine. Will I ever get the pronunciation right? I'm not sure. Anyway, I loved what Ian said about the physical magazine itself, that it smells of print and sweat and toil and love. My thanks to Ian for being my guest. You can subscribe to the publication at roller.cc, and you can smell the print, the sweat, the toil, and love in every issue as it arrives in your mailbox. The next episode of The Outspoken Cyclist will drop this weekend. We'll be going back to CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. Well, not physically, but we'll be speaking with Ash Lovell about People for Bikes' role at the ginormous Consumer Show and find out what the reactions of the attendees were. I'd really like to know what you thought about two shorter episodes in one week. Thumbs up? or thumbs down. You can weigh in on our Facebook page or leave a comment on our blog, OutspokenCyclist.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a great week. Stay safe, stay well, and remember, there is always time for a ride. Bye-bye. Joining us today on The Outspoken Cyclist with Diane Jenks. We welcome your thoughts and contributions on our Facebook page, or visit OutspokenCyclist.com to leave a comment on any episode. We will be back next week with new guests, topics, conversations, and news from the world of cycling. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. The Outspoken Cyclist is a copyrighted production of DBL Promotions with the assistance of WJCU-FM Cleveland, a service of John Carroll University. Thanks again for listening, ride safely, and we'll see you next week.